What's up, everybody? Good afternoon. A little bit earlier than we've been doing. Looks like it's more popular to go later. <laughs> a lot less people here than usual, but that's okay. Not a problem. Most people watch the videos later in the day anyway. But um, all right, want to thank you all for joining me and hanging out in the SilverFoxArt.com studios. And again, our wonderful sponsor, SilverFoxArt.com. We couldn't do this. I couldn't do this without them. Um, they're the reason that that we had the the well the the funds to be able to even start doing this. Uh, we were overusing the caster system, uh, which of course we don't use anymore because they they hosed me. But other than that, you know, at least uh, at least we were able to get up and running and, and start doing this. And we couldn't have done that without Silver Fox Art. So if you just please, uh, if if nothing else, if you're not in the market for artwork right now, if you could do me a favor, if you could go to Instagram and follow Silver Fox Art. Dot com on Instagram at silver.fox.art. So it's just silver fox art separated with a period. Uh, if you could do that, that would be huge. And then tell everybody about them and share any of the artwork that you like. Um, and that that's going to help them grow because they're a great company to work with. They do amazing stuff. Nobody else really does what they do. And you know how, how you have these... Um, You've got these really popular American flags that are made out of wood, right? That's creeping up kind of everywhere. They do that, but with any image or logo that you want. And it's amazing stuff with backlighting and RGB lighting and options that are not available on some of these other things. And if you want an American flag, they will do that for you. They'll make it out of wood, handmade, ladies and gentlemen, right here in Michiana. All right, silverfoxart.com. Okay, uh, Truth Social. I am on Truth Social. If you want to get on Truth Social, it is available for you right now. Uh, over the weekend, picked up 200 followers, so not too shabby. We're you know starting to pick up a little momentum there. I haven't even done an email blast yet, so hopefully it surges a little bit after that. I have been very happy with the platform. Uh, I haven't had any issues. It is funny to kind of watch when you're on Truth Social and you're actually able to participate in True Social, it is kind of funny to watch some of the articles that have been written just in the past couple of months about how much of a disaster it is, right? These are articles written by left-wing media outlets who don't want anybody to join Truth Social. People who are on Truth Social seem pretty happy. You know what the one complaint, the one complaint that I have seen on Truth Social about the platform has been? Too many people follow me. <laughs> That's the one complaint that I've actually seen from people who are on the platform. Obviously, there's some issues in getting onto the platform, but once you're on the platform, um, it has been very stable. The one issue that I had is I posted a couple of videos, and they didn't show up in my my profile, but they were in the news feed. So minor little glitch. They showed up a little bit later on. Not a big deal. And, and that could have just been me posting too fast or, or what have you. So I'm, you know, other than that, I haven't had any issues on the platform at all. I've been very happy with it, but it is now open and available for everybody. All you have to do is go to truthsocial.com. There's still some confusion about having to have the mobile app. You don't have to have the mobile app anymore. Uh, they do not have an Android app at this point in time. The rumor is Google's not playing nice with them. I don't know if that's true or not. That's the rumor, but it is available for everybody. And it works fine on mobile. I actually prefer the mobile versus the desktop. Because of the hashtags. Uh, the hashtags seem to function better on the mobile than they do on desktop, but they function fine on either one. Uh, just I just prefer it that way. It's entirely up to you what you prefer. 
Um, so you can go follow me again at Casey, the host, which is my handle everywhere anyway. And I, I hope you will do that. So if you have an account and you're on true social, please right now, just go to truesocial.com, log in and follow Casey, the host. If you don't have an account yet and you're interested in joining, sign up, make sure you follow me. I would appreciate it. Okay. I got to talk about this. Um, this has been sticking in my craw for a bit. And I think some of you kind of heard my reactions to this type of stuff a couple of times on the show. And it's, it's really bothering me. First of all, there are a lot of younger, and I'm not denigrating you for your age. This is, it's relevant because younger people who were not cognizant of Iraq, who don't know what was happening in the lead up to that, who don't have any memories of what happened between Gulf War I, Gulf War II, people who don't know that stuff grew up with a false media narrative. And that false media narrative was there was a lie to go to war in Iraq and Iraq was an illegal war and all of that stuff comes from the anti-war left. It's not true. None of that's accurate. There were weapons of mass destruction that were found there. Um, there is an important clarification that I'll get to in a second. For some of you going, no, they weren't. Yes, there was. There's an important clarification on that because the intelligence was still wrong. But it wasn't a lie. The intelligence was, was still wrong, but there were still weapons of mass destruction that were found in Iraq. And we'll get into that here in a second. And a lot of you have been asking me to do another WMD show. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to me for a number of years, I was at one point in time the only person in American media talking about this. You know, I got I got into um, I got into this this job 17 years ago, a little over 17 years ago, and I used to take phone calls from people in Iraq on my radio show on KXNT, and they would tell me the stuff that they had found. They would go over conventional and non-conventional uh, things that crossed the line in NBCs, what condition they were in. We would have them on the radio show all the time to talk about it. Again, uh, this is still the case, but back then it was much more so. I was like the only veteran who was on the radio. Keep in mind, podcasts didn't exist. Social media was still brand new. Blogs were just an emerging thing. You know, it, it really it wasn't what you have now. Podcasting is not live streaming. Forget about it. it. Didn't exist. It just didn't. So there was me, the youngest person in. Uh, what we would call legacy corporate media. And I had a position, a unique position in that I knew a bunch of people that were over there. My former units were over there. I had people inside. So I would call people up from Ambar and be like, hey, what's going on? Are you allowed to talk about this? Are you not allowed to talk about this? And then they would contact me and we would interview them. And what they were allowed to say, they would say. What they weren't allowed to say, they would say no comment. You know how it goes. And I was the only one covering this. And you had, you know, other people out there pushing the lie that there are no weapons of mass destruction there. Chief among them, I'm going to take a shot here. Chief among them, InfoWars, which at the time didn't even exist. It wasn't really InfoWars at the time. It was just Alex Jones, okay, pushing false narratives that the left wanted pushed. Just because they were, you know, perpetually opposed to, to conflict. There's nothing wrong with being anti-war. Nothing wrong with being against conflict. I get that. And the right has moved, I think, in a more positive direction away from injecting ourselves into foreign conflicts. And I think that's a positive move. 
not the crazy anti-war left like we, we've always had, but just somewhere in, hey, we don't need to get involved in everything. There are some things we should probably get involved in, but not everything. And if we're not having, if we're, we're not, if we have something we need to take care of at home, we need to not do that. And that's kind of what a lot of the right's position has been about Ukraine. The right wanted to prevent the war in Ukraine, but of course the left didn't. The war in Ukraine happened anyway uh, because the left got their way. And now we're at a, a position here where a lot of people who are on the left, including the anti-war types, suddenly want to go to war in Ukraine. And the right is like, yeah, we can sell them weapons and stuff, but you know, giving it away, going to war, ah, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, there's obviously conflict on both sides of the aisle with the, uh, those positions. But when Afghanistan happened and Biden pulled out the way that he pulled out, one of the things that really... Um, struck me was how the political right started spreading a vicious lie that somehow we had lost Afghanistan, that we had lost our war in Afghanistan. Um, And they did that just to dunk on Biden. And all I could think of, all I could think of was how throughout our history, we've got multiple generations now that have been falsely told that the U.S. lost Vietnam. And all I could think of was, son of a gun, they're doing it again, but this time it's the right that's doing it. It's the political right who's throwing our troops under the bus. It's not the left. The left spread that vicious lie about a Vietnam loss to attack Republicans and Nixon. That's what they did. And now I'm watching the right do the same thing to attack Biden. Everybody knows that our conflict in Afghanistan was won. It was up to the Afghans if they wanted to go back to the old ways or if they wanted to continue with the new path that we had set them. They made their decision. You know, a lot of them made that decision at a barrel of a gun, but they didn't fight. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's you had a couple of options. Uh, what Biden did clearly was the wrong option. We know that. We, we know that these aren't how these operations are conducted. But to go out there and then gaslight a complete and total military victory of the Taliban who refused to even fight for the last couple of years because they were going to get wiped out to then gaslight and say, oh, we lost Afghanistan just because, you know, after we left, the Taliban come back in and, and the Afghan military didn't fight. I that's not a, That's not right. It's not appropriate. And yet that's exactly what the right is doing for political reasons. You know, I'm getting ready to speak at a at a veteran event here for Freedom System. And I'm going to be honest with you. My speech is not going to be pleasant. Nobody cares about the military. Nobody cares about veterans. Not the left, not the right, not the middle. Nobody does. And I'm talking in mass. There are obviously individuals who do. But most of the time, it's just lip service around Veterans Day and around Memorial Day. And beyond that, nobody cares. Everybody will use them as pawns. Everybody will throw them under the bus just to score political points against their political enemies. And it's wrong. You've got entire generations of people who have no idea what Operation Linebacker 2 is. No clue. Generations of people who think Vietnam ended when Saigon fell. Completely ignoring that Saigon fell years after we left the conflict. Where the North Vietnamese came to the table and accepted all of our terms because we bombed them into submission. Nobody knows it. It's historical fact. It's the truth. But nobody knows it. 
South Vietnam lost the Vietnam War. The United States didn't. We won our war over there. The government of Afghanistan lost their war. We didn't. We won our war when we were in Afghanistan. Stop gaslighting history. Stop doing that just to score political points. I've told myself many, many times I was going to write articles, I was going to do shows, I was going to do a book. I don't know how it's going to come out on perpetual U.S. military myths. And on them, we got to, we got to add the Afghanistan thing to that list now. But also, on that list, sitting at number, probably number two, because I think the Vietnam one's probably the biggest military myth in American history. But I think number two has got to be Iraq. And I see it on Tim Pool's show all the time. I haven't watched Tim Pool or listened to Tim Pool in a little while. I kind of go back and forth and listening to him. I like him. I just have time. But constantly comes up. No WMDs in Iraq. No WMDs. Yes, there was. What are you talking about? And even if you didn't want to believe what generals were telling you and the Pentagon was telling you and the National Guard report was telling you and, and senators were telling you and, and Rumsfeld was telling you, even if you didn't want to believe them, WikiLeaks exposed it. WikiLeaks exposed it. And right there in WikiLeaks, tons of documents on the weapons that were found, the, the, uh, the manufacturing capabilities that were retained and were kept secret and hidden throughout up until the invasion. All of that stuff is, is now been released to the public, much to the chagrin of the government who wanted to keep it classified. And we have these people who devote so much time and so much energy into researching certain issues and doing desperate, desperate efforts to get knowledge out to the world, and they still fall back. And they go, no WMDs were found in Iraq, when we know, in fact, they were. Now, what is spurring this? I've been, this sticks in my craw a lot, okay? A lot. But this is what's spurring this. I'm going to play this. This is George W. Bush. He's giving a speech. He messed up. People are seizing it. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh okay. <clears throat> so because of that, everybody's posting about it, right? Almost nobody on the political right likes George W. Bush anymore for good reasons, okay? Good first term, terrible second term. George W. Bush has a slip of the tongue here. He's getting old. Some people are asking me, is he getting old? Was it just a mistake? Whatever. Yeah, he's getting old, okay? He had a slip of the tongue. His conflict was Iraq. That's, you know, that was his, his, big, his big conflict. Yes, I know he had Afghanistan in there, but Iraq was obviously the one that took over the headlines. So... He makes this makes this error in speech. The right is is pouncing on it. The left is pouncing on it. Centrists and libertarians are pouncing on it. It's like, yeah, okay. But Iraq was a justified conflict. It always was a justified conflict. The war in Iraq, as I've told you over, over my entire career, the war in Iraq was always going to happen. Could he have picked a different time to do it? Sure. Maybe. That's debatable. You know, should he have done Iraq while Afghanistan was going on? Maybe not. But there's also real reasons why Iraq had to happen when it happened. 
real justifiable reasons. But we can at least debate that. Okay, did Iraq happen when it should have? Could it have waited a little bit to make things a little bit easier? Maybe. But as somebody who is activated and sitting on the tarmac to go invade Iraq under President Clinton because he tried to assassinate a former president after briefing, after briefing, after briefing about Saddam trying to procure uranium, Saddam developing VX, and Saddam sarin this. Okay. It was going to happen. Gaslighting history and pretending all of a sudden that Iraq was an unjustified war is wrong. It is 100% wrong. And that's exactly what's going on here. So let's just take a moment and let's go over this because I'm getting I'm getting very irritated with this new breed political right. I hate the old breed political right, the neocons. I don't like the new breed political right um, because they're really just kind of anti-war liberals who haven't found a home yet. And I don't necessarily think that they're going to take conservatism in the right direction. I really don't. Which is why when I wrote about this on on Truth Social, I was like, they're on the uh, the political right for now, you know. But I don't know where it went here. Here we go. Uh, yeah, at least temporarily they're on the political right because they're they're likely going to change. But this is this is an important topic. War is not popular. The people who hate fighting war the most are the ones who are tasked with waging it. But Iraq was a justified war. Under any circumstance, it was a justified war. So let's take a look at an old post that I wrote, which specifically dealt with Ron Paul. Um, It didn't necessarily have much to do with Iraq, but I tied it together. Okay. I've often asked the question in my writings and on my show, most often in discussions with the ignorant the ignorant about Saddam being the innocent victim of the Bush-Cheney aggression. No clear answer has been given by pacifists to the question, what would justify war? This is a valid question. You're going to go to conflict, right? What justifies war? The pacifist hordes often give conflicting answers. For example, Ron Paul, who claims a form of pacifism, was interviewed by John Stossel in 2007. He was asked what would justify a war. If you're attacked, you have a right and an obligation to defend your country. I do not believe there is ever a moral justification to start a war. That was Ron Paul. Okay, That sounds nice, but I found Paul's answer interesting and vague. What constitutes an attack? Is it on your property, your citizens, or must it be within your national borders? Pacifists have been unable to clarify this position for me for over the years. What does this have to do with Iraq? And my greater point later. Before the 2003 Iraq invasion, Saddam was repeatedly attacking the U.S. and her allies in a little-discussed conflict in the no-fly zone. Yet Ron Paul and others have frequently said that there was no justification for the invasion of Iraq. So, shooting and attacking U.S. citizens and destroying U.S. property is not an attack. I'm of a different viewpoint. And my training to invade Iraq under Clinton proved that even Slick Willie agreed with me. So I bring this up now. Iraq was a a resounding success and Saddam is dead. Because we may be heading for another war. And I talked about something that was happening with Pakistan. But the reason I bring this up 
And for those of you who don't know, the conflict after the first Gulf War never really stopped. It wasn't just violating UN Resolution 1441 and the other resolutions that were in place because of the invasion of Kuwait. It was the constant firing at American and allied aircraft that were enforcing the no-fly zones that Iraq had conceded to when it lost the Gulf War. It was Iraq attacking villages and cities in territories that were directly under coalition protection. It was Iraq violating all of those weapons inspections. It was Iraq getting caught buying brand new chemical warheads just months before the invasion in 2003. It was all of these things that were happening. For those of you who don't know, I mean, you should really look this up. Look up the no-fly zone war. This is what they call it, the no-fly zone war. And look how long this lasted. Now, allies were successful in, in policing this, but you have to look. Some of these are direct actions here. Okay, I don't need to read all of them for you. And a lot of them were U.S. responses to Iraq refusing to hold up its end of the bargain for the end of the, of the first Gulf War, the ceasefire. Others were direct results of them firing at coalition aircraft. Now, again, maybe your opinion differs from me, and that's fine. If you fire at our, our pilots, that's justification for war. If you try to assassinate our politicians, it's justification for war. If you have terrorist training camps in your country, which Iraq had, that's justification for war, especially when Americans are the targets. Let's not forget that shortly before the invasion of Iraq, because weapons of mass destruction, contrary to the popular narrative, were not the primary reason for the war with Iraq. It was not the primary reason for the invasion. It was never, it was never presented as the primary reason by anybody but anti-war leftists. It was never ever presented as the primary reason. Saddam's connection to terrorism always was. In addition to that, his connection to terrorism and his knowledge of bioweapons, anthrax, botulum, and sarin, and you know, getting into the chemical stuff, sarin and mustard, there was concern that his connection to terrorists would allow him to pass that knowledge to them, which ultimately was proven to be accurate because that's exactly what happened with ISIS. But that was always the concern. His WMD knowledge was secondary to his issues with terrorism. The terrorism training camps, the teaching them how to how to hijack airplanes, the you know, his the martyr plan, which we had like 40 some odd suicide bombers that he was, you know, recruiting right before we invaded. He was recruiting them to go. You know, you know what they're being recruited to do? They were going to blow up Americans all around the world. That's what Saddam Hussein was recruiting. Now, again, Ron Paul has a difference of opinion here than I have. I believe that when a world leader is recruiting people to strap homicide vests to them, to go target Americans all over Europe and all over North, North and South America, I believe that that is an act of war. If you disagree with me, that is fine. But we are never going to meet eye to eye on that. And Saddam was doing that. It was one of the main reasons that we launched the invasion at the time that we did. 
You see the the WMD stuff and everything else. Yeah, that's that's possible that the conflict could have waited. But one of the reasons that we we launched when we did was because he was actively recruiting terrorists to target Americans overseas. That's why that conflict happened when it happened. This gets left out of the the notes in history, but it's the truth. So you've got a war that Saddam started, a war that Saddam lost, an agreement to end the war that Saddam repeatedly and routinely violated, which is a justification for war in my book. Others don't think so. It's weird watching those same people root for getting involved in Ukraine, but I digress. For the same reasons, okay? For, for the same, they want to get involved in Ukraine for the same reasons that I feel it's proper to get involved in Iraq, yet they opposed getting involved in Iraq, yet they want to get involved in Ukraine. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. So repeated attacks on America and her allies, repeated violations of Resolution 1441 and others with the UN ceasefire agreement, launching military strikes in zones that were prohibited, an attempted assassination of a former U.S. president, Recruiting terrorists, training terrorists to carry out operations all over the world. And then directly recruiting terrorists to go assassinate Americans in Europe and in North America. Yeah, I think that's justification for war. They said, if you disagree with that, that's fine. But we will never see eye to eye on that. Now, in addition to that, there were some claims about weapons of mass destruction that were made. Most of you know that I wrote this a long time ago. It's still accurate today. Periodically, I will go back. I will look at the links. Nothing has been refuted. Nothing has been taken down. Nothing has been changed. This is all true. For those of you who are new to this, you've never, never seen this article before. It's on my website, theburningtruth.us. This is a series of, but incomplete, case of the WMDs that were found in Iraq right after the invasion. And it goes up long after ISIS has risen and is now in Syria and everything else. And in this thing, I don't even really cover, I don't even really cover the, the witnesses and the whistleblowers who say that a lot of the stockpiles were moved to Syria. Okay. I don't even cover that, but I do find, I found it very interesting that that conversation never really came up in the news media as we were discussing chemical weapons in Syria. I always found that to be very interesting. So, <clears throat> let's go through some of it. For those of you who don't know, okay. WikiLeaks found that Iraq did have WMDs, tried to hide them. The terrorists are trying to use them, and that this info wasn't unknown to the media. The press simply chose to ignore the findings as no big deal. Here's the Atlantic in 2004. For instance, American forces surreptitiously purchased what they believed to be containers of liquid sulfur mustard, a toxic blister agent, used a chemical weapon, used as a chemical weapon since World War I. The troops tested the liquid and reported two positive results for blister. The chemical was then triple sealed and transported to a secure site outside of their base. In the summer of 2008, according to WikiLeaks, American troops found at least 10 rounds that tested positive for the chemical agents. These rounds were most likely left over from the Saddam era regime. Now, if those rounds were left over from the Saddam-era regime, 
That would mean there were weapons that he illegally held on to. Okay. At this point, debate's done, but we're going to continue anyway. Now, I want to stress something here because I think that this is important. Nobody's making the case that there was, whether it was intentional or bad intelligence, nobody is making the case that Iraq had far less than we thought that they had. Does that make sense? Did Iraq have weapons of mass destruction? Absolutely. Were they shoring up their ability to remanufacture new ones after the sanctions ended? Absolutely. Did they have an active nuclear weapons program at the time of the invasion? Absolutely. Did they have as many weapons as we thought we had, or as we thought they had at the time of the invasion? No. Were those weapons as modern as we had believed they were at the time of the invasion? No. Make sense? Now, when I get in this discussion with people, what ends up happening is some people go, oh, well, I mean, you know, it's like there's no nuclear weapons, though, Casey, because now they're moving the goalposts. See, WMDs are just NBCs. NBCs are nuclear, biological, chemical, and radiological. Okay, We called them NBCs in the first Gulf War. The definitions changed to include different weapon types that had now been incorporated. So they became WMDs. That was just a formatics change in the way that our government and our allies classified these types of weapons. That's all it was. They used a better name that included radiological and some other types of weapons. Okay, They, they added that because it was more encompassing. It was just a different terminology. That's all it was. NBCs are the same as WMDs. The exact same thing. But there are people out there who all of a sudden, it's, oh, chemical weapons and biological weapons don't mean anything. It was just about nuclear weapons. Okay, well, they, they had a, an active nuclear weapons program at the time of the invasion, which we'll get into here in a minute. But they love changing the definition of all of this. Remember, the primary concern with Iraq was that he was going to give sarin or mustard or anthrax or something to a terrorist cell that would hit a populated area. That was the big concern. It wasn't that Saddam Hussein was going to launch a chemical weapon from his country into Israel or the United States. It was never the concern. The concern was the terrorists that he was training were going to set off something that had, you know, this major, this major, uh, you know, event. And I know that some people want to talk about, you know, Iraq was falsely blamed for the anthrax scare after 9-11 and stuff like that. And yeah, okay. Nobody ever knew. The government never definitively said that Iraq was doing that. But there was speculation. Iraq was a well-known manufacturer of anthrax. That They'd done that throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I mean, it made sense that they would be a suspect. But they didn't do it. So just so everybody's crystal clear, everybody understands that there were less weapons in Iraq than we thought there was going to be. But they were there. That's the important part. Andrew Sullivan uh, closed his article with this statement. I know of no incident when these weapons were actually used against U.S. troops. Really? Okay. Fox News, May 2004. A roadside bomb containing sarin nerve agent recently exploded near a U.S. military convoy, according to the U.S. military. The Bush administration officials told Fox News a mustard gas was also recently discovered. Two people were treated for minor exposure after the sarin incident, but no serious injuries were reported. Soldiers transporting the shell for inspection suffered symptoms consistent with low-level chemical exposure, 
which is what led to the discovery. The Iraq Survey Group confirmed uh, today, of course, this is back in May of 2004, that a 155-millimeter artillery round containing the sarin nerve agent had been found. Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, the chief military spokesman in Iraq, told, uh, told reporters in Baghdad the round had been rigged as an IED, which was discovered by U.S. Force, by a U.S. force convoy. He gave, he gave that speech. I played you well, that interview. I, I played you guys that interview on my show several times. That's General Kimmett in Iraq. They didn't get these somewhere else, and then they tested negative, and it was all a false alarm. That didn't happen. So, again, Andrew Sullivan, guess he missed that story, right? Field tests confirmed that those are chemical agents. The most interesting part of this discovery was that the Pentagon thought the incident was classified. This is the root of why. This is the root of why so many people believe no weapons of mass destruction were found in Iraq. The Pentagon didn't want anybody knowing. It also appears some top Pentagon officials were surprised by the Sarin news. They thought the matter was classified, according to administration officials. So Fox News reached out to the Pentagon and the Pentagon's like, General Kimmett said, what? We thought that was classified. So you see, just the mere fact that in 2004, you've got two warheads confirmed to carry two different nerve agents. Well, one's a blister agent, one's a nerve agent. And the Pentagon didn't want you to know about it. Should tell you all you need to know about why there's been such a vacuum of information on this. The same people running around today telling you that the CIA lie to you and keep secrets in order to get you into conflict or what have you are the same people who are ignoring that the government didn't want you to know about the WMDs found in Iraq. Interesting, right? Now some people are like, oh, it's just Fox News, whatever. All right, well, here's Washington Post. They also reported it. General Kimmett's admission should have been the end of the debate, but it wasn't. The myth that Iraq had no WMDs has persisted. There was even shock expressed as a result of the mustard and sarin findings that I just told you about. I wonder why everybody was so shocked to learn that Saddam actually had these weapons. Here's the United Nations, January of 2003. This is before the invasion. I think it's a month before. Didn't they invade in February, maybe March? The United Nations weapons inspectors returned to the ammunition storage area today to conduct further analysis of the 12th chemical warhead found at the site earlier in the week. Guys, this is right before the invasion. The 12th chemical warhead that was found at the site earlier in the week. The team took additional samples from the warhead and resealed the warhead at the storage building. Verification, Inspection Commission, and uh, the Atomic Energy Agency uh, all confirmed this in Baghdad. Yeah, two months. Okay, so we invaded in March of 2003. It's two months before the invasion. So right before the invasion, we're finding dozen warheads. They were working on their 12th chemical warhead. If the UN was finding chemical warheads just weeks before the invasion, then why was it so shocking to discover that Saddam had those weapons after the war had started? We would later have another bomb dropped on us by Senator Rick Santorum. He discovered that the Pentagon was keeping WMD findings under wraps. So once again, goes back to the Pentagon with General Kimmett. Pentagon going, oh, he shouldn't have told you that. That was classified. And for those of you who don't remember, uh, Senator Rick Santorum declassified a National Guard report on some of the weapons that have been found in Iraq. Now, what was interesting about this report is as I was reading the entire report 
on my show, the news media was ablaze with, um, you know, chemical weapons report says that there's no chemical weapons in Iraq. That is not what that report says. That is not even close to what that report says. It does say that some of the weapons were in degraded condition, but still dangerous. So maybe they can't be fired by artillery anymore. Maybe they can't be dropped by a bomb anymore. But they are still a chemical agent. That chemical agent can still be extracted and used in other ways, possibly unconventional ways. And some people want to pretend that that's not a real thing. But it is. He petitioned to have the data released to the public because, remember, they were hiding this. Uh, He got an intelligence briefing on it, and he's like, why aren't we telling the public about this? Eventually, was able to get it released, and then he lost his Senate seat as a result. He was also viciously attacked as some kook who was clinging to some form of conspiracy theory. So what conspiracy? I just told you about the U.N. finding WMDs in Iraq just before the invasion. General Kimmett admitted WMDs were used against U.S. troops in 2004. Are people's memories so short, or are they intentionally hiding the truth? The allegation was that none of the 500-plus WMDs were usable. That simply is not true. And, of course, I linked to the declassified report. House Intelligence Chairman Peter Hoekstra, Republican of Michigan, said, Iraq was not a WMD-free zone. Weapons have been discovered. More weapons exist. Again, I ask, why did they have to pressure the government to release this data against its will? It's a good question. Now, are there justifiable reasons that the government would probably want the discovery of WMDs in Iraq to be secret? Absolutely. What we didn't know at the time is they were watching a a bigger insurgency brew, which would eventually become ISIS. Polish troops recently discovered more than a dozen warheads containing mustard or sarin gas in Iraq, according to Donald Rumsfeld in a radio interview. Rumsfeld said Polish defense minister told him about the find, when they met earlier in the week at a NATO summit in Istanbul. And again, the conspiracy theory here is everybody goes, oh, yeah, but when they got it back, uh, they actually did the testing on it and it wasn't true. <laughs> That's what your average 20-something-year-old know-nothing says. Now, for those of you who don't know, because you didn't serve in the military at the time, uh, those field tests were actually pretty darn accurate. They, they weren't really inaccurate. That's a cover story. We use those things all the time. They were accurate. Suddenly, civilians with no military experience are like, well, yeah, every everything, all the hundreds of things that were tested positive in the field suddenly were not positive when they got it back to a real lab. Sure. Okay. No. Those field tests were accurate. We never had an issue with them, ever. And that was a couple of years before the actual invasion happened. He pointed out that his troops in Iraq had recently come across, uh, I've forgotten the number, but something like 16 or 17 warheads that contained sarin and mustard gas. That's what he told News Radio 600 Kogo in San Diego. Charles Dolfer, the head of the Iraq Survey Group, also testified before Congress. There were also efforts to retain the intellectual capital of nuclear scientists by forbidding their departure from Iraq and keeping them employed in government areas. However, over time... There was a decay in the team. Despite this decay, Saddam did not abandon his nuclear ambitions. Did not abandon his nuclear ambitions. Even George Tenet, who hated George W. Bush, George Tenet 
said that Iraq was unjustifiable because we could have prevented Saddam from, um, you know, making nuclear weapons. Saddam was several years away from nuclear weapons. And then in the year that Saddam would, apparently, according to George Tenet, who's anti-war, the year that Saddam would have had nuclear weapons, I made sure to remind everybody that, hey, Saddam would have had a nuclear weapon at this time, according to George Tenet and CIA. He made clear his view that nuclear weapons were the right of any country that could build them. He was very attentive uh, to the growing Iranian threat, especially its potential nuclear component, and stated that he would do whatever it took to offset the Iranian threat, clearly implying matching Tehran's nuclear capabilities. And this is where our intelligence likely made its big mistake. Sorry. Uh, For those of you who do not know, Saddam inflated his WMD capability while telling us he didn't have any, which he did. He was at the same time making Iran believe that he had more than he actually had. This is where Western intelligence got duped. That's where we believed he had more weapons, more modern weapons than he actually had. The truth is he didn't have a lot, but he had some. He retained the infrastructure. He retained the capability to ramp up manufacturing the moment sanctions ended. He even had a program that he said was for a rail gun, but it was actually a nuclear program. He built up dual-use facilities and dual-use ingredients, which we'll get to here in a minute, to make it seem like they were legitimate, but in fact, they were weapons programs. And he did this to hide his weapons programs from us, but also to make Iran think that his weapons were more advanced and he had a bigger stockpile than he actually had. And our intelligence picked up on the Iranian part. We believe that he had more weapons that were more advanced than he actually had. So here's what Dolfer said about the chemical and biological chapters of his report, which I just reread this morning. Once inspections began in 91, Iraq chose to yield most of its weapons and bulk agent as well as the large facilities that were widely known to exist. As in the other WMD areas, Saddam sought to sustain the requisite knowledge base to restart the program eventually, and to the extent it did not threaten the Iraqi efforts to get out out from sanctions to sustain the inherent capability to produce such weapons as circumstances permitted in the future. Dolfer also addressed the oil for food scandal. Um, For those of you who don't know, Iraq was basically giving oil vouchers to countries like Russia and China and uh, even France, And he was, you know, instead of getting food, because Iraq was allowed to sell oil only to get food and, you know, stuff like that. What he was doing is he was getting weapons. And the French betrayed us on that, by the way. Over time, and with the infusion of funding and resources following acceptance of the oil for food program, Iraq effectively shortened the time that it would be required to reestablish a chemical weapons production capability. By 2003, Iraq would have been able to produce mustard agent in a period of months and nerve agent in less than a year or two. And, of course, that's the year of the invasion. He continued, Iraq decided to retain the main bioweapons production facility, but under guise of using it to produce a single-cell protein for animal feed. These decisions were taken with Saddam's explicit approval. Preservation of Iraq's biological weapons capability was simpler than any other WMD area because of the nature of the material. What is clear is that Saddam retained his notions of the use of force and had experienced the dem- and de- that demonstrated the utility of WMD, because again, he used them throughout, throughout the conflict with Iran. 
He was making progress in eroding sanctions, which he was, and had it not been for the events of 9-11, things would have taken a different course for the regime. Most senior members of the regime and scientists assumed that the programs would begin in earnest when sanctions ended and sanctions were eroding. So at this point in Charles Dolfer's report, which is the Iraq survey group again, he's sitting there and he's going, Saddam maintained the facilities, he maintained the scientists, he maintained the knowledge, the ingredients, and everything was maintained to a point that the moment sanctions ended, they would be able to produce chemical weapons and biological weapons within months. Chemical weapons much sooner, biological agents about a year or two. That's what Saddam had done. And that everybody in senior leadership in the Iraqi government knew that once sanctions ended, that was to happen. So even if he didn't have any WMDs, still a threat. Dolfer also highlighted the threat of such knowledge being given to terrorists, which Saddam openly supported. The risk that has emerged since my previous status report to Congress, he, did, he gave basically three and then some addendums, is the connection of former regime chemical weapons experts with coalition anti-coalition forces. ISG uncovered evidence of such links and undertook a sizable effort to track down and prevent any lash-up between foreign terrorists or anti-coalition forces and either existing chemical weapons stocks or experts able to reproduce, able to produce such weapons indigenously. I believe we got ahead of this problem through a series of raids throughout the spring and summer. I am convinced we successfully contained a problem before it matured into a major threat. Nevertheless, it points to the point, the problem, excuse me, that the dangerous expertise developed by the previous regime could be transferred to other hands. Certainly, there are anti-coalition and terrorist elements seeking such capabilities. Right. Now, seven months earlier, here's some of the things that Dolfer had said. Remember, he gave three reports to Congress and then some addendums, Okay. Iraq did have facilities suitable for the production of biological and chemical agents needed for weapons. It had plans to improve and expand and even build new facilities. With respect to chemical production, Iraq was working up to March 2003, which is the month of the invasion, to construct new facilities for the production of chemicals. There were plans under the direction of a leading nuclear scientist, WMD program manager, to construct plants capable of making a variety of chemicals and producing a year's supply of any chemical in a month. This was called a crash program. Now, keep in mind, that was active the month we invaded. Most of the chemicals specified in this program were conventional commercial chemicals, but a few are considered dual use. This is where my expertise in chemicals is going to come in. Once we are examining... One we are examining, commonly called DCC, was used by Iraq before 1991 as a stabilizing agent for the nerve agent VX. I think I wanted to say that I've taken many calls over the years from people who have made the claim that chemical weapons are not WMDs, dictionary be damned, and that only a nuclear weapon qualifies. Okay, let's address that. Makes sense to address that, right? This is, again... Dolfer to Congress. This is him testifying before Congress. Likewise, in the nuclear arena, the ISG has developed information that suggests Iraq's interest in preserving and expanding the knowledge needed to design and develop nuclear weapons. One significant effort illustrating this was a high-speed railgun program under the direction of two senior scientists associated with Iraq's pre-1991 nuclear weapons program. 
Okay, so you take a couple of Iraq's nuclear weapons scientists. Now they're building a railgun, but there's some issues with the railgun program that you need to know. Documents from the project show that the scientists were developing a railgun designed to achieve speeds of 2 to 10 kilometers per second. The ostensible purpose of this research was development of an air defense gun, but these speeds are what are necessary to conduct experiments of metals compressing together at high speed as they do in a nuclear detonation. Scientists refer to these experiments as equation of state measurements. Not only were these scientists developing a railgun, but their laboratory also contained documents describing diagnostic techniques that are important for nuclear weapons experiments, such as flash X-ray radiography, laser velocimetry, uh, let's see, and high-speed photography. Other documents found outside of the laboratory described a high-voltage switch that can be used to detonate a nuclear weapon, laser detonation, nuclear fusion, radiation measurement, and radiation safety. These fields are certainly not related to air defense. Again, this is what Dolfer is testifying before Congress. This is the key phrase here. The Iraq Survey Group director to Congress. It is this combination of topics that make us suspect this lab was intentionally focused on research applicable for nuclear weapons development. Now, George Tenet, he believed that uh, that Saddam would have a nuclear weapon, I think, by like 2010. Okay? And here you've got the Iraq Survey Group, which is the international group that was tasked with finding nuclear and chemical and biological weapons in Iraq, saying they had an active nuclear weapons program at the time of the invasion. Oh, they were also expanding their laboratories and ramping up their ability to produce chemical weapons at the time of the invasion. So Charles Dolfer's own words to Congress about the threat of Saddam's nuclear program, while it wasn't as advanced as the world's intelligence agencies believed, it still existed. Uranium enrichment centrifuges, whose only plausible use was as a part of a clandestine nuclear weapons program, were also found. In all these cases, Iraqi scientists have been told before the war not to declare their activities to the U.N., why would Saddam hide a nuclear weapons program if he doesn't have a nuclear weapons program? Since we now know that Saddam had a nuclear weapons program, it brings into question the amount of uranium Saddam had. Saddam had at least 500 tons. I'm saying at least because we discovered more. At least 500 tons of uranium. 1.8 tons of that was partially enriched, the process making weaponable uranium. In case you're curious, 500 tons is enough to make 142 nuclear bombs. Can't tell you how many people call me a liar when I told them about that uranium. So here's a few links to those stories. And again, it goes everywhere. You know, Signs of San Diego, BBC, Newsmax, USA Today, New York Times, Free Republic, Newsmax again. You know, you get it. But wait, there's more. An additional 500 tons of uranium was made public years later. What possible use could Saddam have for 1,000 tons of uranium? Enough to make 284 nuclear bombs. Fast forward to 2010. Our listeners are well aware of this story, but it came and went so fast that many of you may have missed it. In early 2010, the press was again shocked to learn that even more WMDs were found in Iraq. Again, this is in 2010. I was almost hysterical on my show talking about this. They have been searching uh, in Iraq. They've been they have been searching in Iraq for the past nine years, ten months, and fifteen days. Today, the hard work finally paid off 
as soldiers found one of those elusive weapons of mass destruction that Saddam Hussein was supposed to have been hiding. Now, that was the Daily Mail. Another genius reporter is hearing about WMDs for the first time, I wrote. So the press was shocked when the U.N. found WMDs in Iraq weeks before the invasion, when General Kimmett confirmed WMDs were used against our troops, when the Pentagon thought it was classified, when a report was declassified in the number of WMDs found in Iraq, when a cache of uranium was found, again when another cache of uranium was found, in early 2010 when another WMD was confirmed, and yet again, now that WikiLeaks has confirmed what I've been telling you for years, do you get the pattern? While all of this, this is what I wrote here, while all of this information is compelling and obliterates the arguments that no WMDs were found, it is in no way all that I have. I guess I'll save that for a book if I ever write it. No one is disputing that Saddam's weapons program wasn't nearly as advanced as we believe. And again, that's because he was trying to make Iran think that it was more advanced. That is a simple fact. However, to say no WMDs were found in Iraq is, a pat- is patently absurd. To say they weren't a threat is intellectually immature. To say the threat of Saddam's WMDs wasn't worth going to war, well, that's a difference of opinion. It's also a debate worth having. You can't have that debate, however, so long as the media and its ignorant victims continue to put their fingers in their ears and block out the truth. The simple fact is that Saddam had WMDs and we found them. We are still finding them and will likely continue to find them in the future. Okay. I then kind of linked to a few things that I found were interesting. And the reason I find this interesting is because um, the U.S. has this really fluid definition of WMD. And I just think it's funny. Okay. I'm not in any way trying to say that any of these groups are as guilty um, as Saddam is. I'm just pointing it out that I find it interesting. Well, let me address the organophosphates thing here first, because I think this is important. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a pretty extensive chemical background. And at one point in time, I had every pest control license in the country that you could think of, um, including restricted use, which covers organophosphates. Now, the reason I really want to bring up the organophosphate thing is because organophosphates are um, they're a pesticide. Organophosphates are very, very dangerous. Saddam had massive massive stockpiles of organophosphate drums, like 55-gallon drums. Now, some of you, and I've run into this many times over the years, oh, Casey, but it's a pesticide. Any chemical can be dangerous, Casey. You can take bleach under your sink, and you can kill somebody with bleach. Is that a chemical weapon? Yeah. Okay. Organophosphates in their normal state are restricted-use pesticide. They're not a chemical weapon. Even if you take a scoop of it and throw it on somebody's face, not a chemical weapon. Now, in the U.S., you'll get charged with using a WMD. But it's not a chemical weapon, according to the international definition of a chemical weapon. However, organophosphates do something that maybe you're not aware of. Organophosphates make sarin. So let me ask you just a logical question here, okay? Why would Saddam Hussein have massive quantities of organophosphates in 55-gallon drums, more than his country would ever need for a legitimate pesticide purpose, according to experts, okay? Why would he have them on military bases? Why would he have them camouflaged from the air as allies were patrolling above? 
why would he be protecting those 55-gallon drums of organophosphates that were camouflaged from the air on a military base with anti-aircraft guns? Why would he do that? Anyone? Because he was going to make sarin with them. That was a part of his stockpile. That's what Charles Dolfer testified about. That's how you make sarin. Sarin is an organophosphate nerve agent, a type of chemical weapon. If those organophosphates in Iraq were for legitimate purposes, why was it more than the country would ever actually need for legitimate purpose? Why were they on a military installation? Why were they camouflaged from the air? And why were they protected by anti-aircraft guns? Because they were there to make chemical weapons. That's why. Uh, Let's see. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton recently decried a poison gas attack on Afghan children. The chemical agent used in the poison gas was an organophosphate. If all of the evidence that I've given you doesn't meet your personal criteria for WMDs, then I have to ask your opinion on a recent story from March of this year. Nine members of the Christian militia group, the Hooteri, were charged by the U.S. government with attempted use of a weapon of mass destruction. Those charges, by the way, were dropped. That whole case is dropped. They were innocent. The U.S. government deems their weapons WMDs. Then why don't they consider sarin, mustard, cyclosarin, organophosphates, and enriched uranium as WMDs? Kind of makes you wonder where all the black helicopter conspiracy theorists have been on this issue. Why have why have they been so busy fabricating stories about 9-11 or Obama's birth certificate when they had a legit full-fledged conspiracy on their hands as it pertains to WMDs in Iraq? Good question. If I do ask so, if I do say so myself. So here's some additional links that I added in I think it was January of 2017. Yeah. Added January 2017. Okay. Here's some additional links that I just added here. ISIS seizes Saddam's chemical weapons plant with materials still inside. Oh, how could that happen if there weren't any? The New York Times reports on WMDs being used against Americans in Iraq. From 2004 to 2011, Americans and American-trained Iraqi troops repeatedly encountered on and on at least six occasions were wounded by chemical weapons remaining from years earlier in Saddam's rule. Oh, 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 because they're old. Who cares if they're old? They're still there. In all, American troops secretly reported finding roughly 5,000 chemical warheads, shells, or aviation bombs. You still got people running around. I'm looking at you, Tim Pool, and the other guys that are on your show that I don't know their names. You still got people running around pretending that this isn't this has not happened. It has. This is all true. It's not even the justification for war, but it's still all true. Veterans hurt by chemical weapons in Iraq get an apology. Oh, well, that's interesting. The Undersecretary of the Army on Wednesday apologized for the military's treatment of American service members exposed to chemical weapons in Iraq, and he announced new steps to provide medical support to those with lingering health effects and to recognize veterans who have been denied awards. How can they get injuries from chemical weapons if there weren't any chemical weapons? CIA was buying Saddam WMDs in secret operation post-invasion. The program started in 2005. This was another one of those stories because, where is this? this? Well, Red State had this. I don't know who had the original story. But this was one of those stories, too, where the reporter was like, 
Why didn't we hear about this before now? What is going on? They hid this from the press. They hid this from the public. Ah! Yeah, okay. It was all there. You just chose not to see it because you hated George W. Bush. Because remember, folks, for those of you who don't know, before Donald Trump, George W. Bush was the worst thing that we had ever had in the entire history of the world, much worse than Hitler. And he was like the nicest guy in the world and didn't respond to any attacks. And he took just as much of a beating as Trump ever did. Central Intelligence Agency, working with American troops during the occupation of Iraq, repeatedly purchased nerve agent rockets from a secretive Iraqi seller, part of a previously undisclosed effort to ensure that old chemical weapons remaining in Iraq did not fall into the hands of terrorists or militant groups, according to a current and former American official. Why would the CIA be running a WMD weapons buying program in Iraq post-invasion if there weren't any chemical weapons in Iraq? WikiLeaks documents prove WMDs and chemical weapons labs found in Iraq after the invasion. WikiLeaks has newly released Iraq war documents. Everybody focused on the friendly fire incidents in the WikiLeaks lease, but or, uh, release, but I focused on this. You know, the friendly fire stuff was bad enough. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, well, everybody's focusing on the friendly fire incidents that were in the WikiLeaks release. In it, we've got proof of WMDs. So why did we ignore that? WikiLeaks newly released Iraq war documents reveal that for years afterwards, U.S. troops continued to find chemical weapons labs and counterinsurgent specialists on toxins and uncover weapons of mass destruction. That's in WikiLeaks. It's in the big document release. ISIS used chemical weapons against the Kurds in 2015. For those of you who don't know, 2015 is like way after 2003 when we invaded Iraq. Iraqi troops discovered ISIS using WMDs and artillery shells. Iraqi militias uncovered empty canisters of corrosive chemicals in sites recently controlled by ISIS, suggesting the militants have swiped the poison. And that ended up in Syria. Saddam had constructed an anthrax manufacturing facility due to go live shortly after the invasion. Okay. Saddam loved anthrax, by the way. Saddam maintained small-scale covert laboratories until the invasion. Other conclusions were that the uh, the Mukabarat, I always mispronounce that, continued to investigate toxins as tools of assassination, concealed its program from the UNSCOM inspectors after the 1991 war, that's the UN weapons inspectors, and reportedly conducted lethal human experiments until 1994, but small-scale covert laboratories were maintained until the invasion in 2003. Don't need to maintain those laboratories if they don't exist. There's more, but, I mean, this is just, like, you know, the big picture. So, again, anybody who says the war in Iraq was not justified is lying to you. They don't know anything about history. Now, you can argue, you can certainly argue that the war could have been timed differently. There's no doubt that the strategy as the insurgency started was bad. The war itself went swimmingly well before the insurgency keep in mind there was over a year of peace and relative quiet in iraq before the insurgency ramped up and um bush and his advisors did not adjust properly they didn't it took general petraeus to fix that problem so that's all true but again that happened years later okay that's the imperative part here um but there was always going to be a conflict with iraq iraq was trying to kill americans Iraq was trying to, you know, get terrorists this this expertise. 
was training terrorists. It was going to happen. But at the end of the day, even though it wasn't the number one justification for war and people have painted it falsely as being the justification for war, Saddam had chemical weapons. He had them. He had the materials to make them very quickly. He had the facilities. He had the expertise. He had the plans to make them quickly. But beyond that, for the you know the goalpost movers out there desperately trying to make George W. Bush the bad guy here, make this you know a, a giant bad war. He had a nuclear weapons program at the time of the invasion. At the time of the invasion, he had chemical facilities that he was expanding and supplying at the time of the invasion. And yeah, a lot of his stockpile that hit were older, but they were still deadly. They still qualify as WMDs. They were used against our troops for numerous years. Clandestine operations to buy them all back. All of these stories are public because I was talking about them. And yet somehow members of the press, and even now, even now, on the political right, this is where you see this the most, though. People deny the existence. Even Senator Rand Paul, who knows better, is denying the existence of these weapons. It is one thing to come out and say, all right, the weapons that he did have were not as advanced as we thought. And therefore, I think we could have waited to invade. That's one position to take. But to come out and say that there were no WMDs there, that they weren't found, that they didn't exist, that it was all a giant lie, that in and of itself is a lie. And it's inexcusable because the information has been so available for so long that anybody who repeats that lie has lost credibility. Go to silverfoxart.com. Come back here at 3 p.m. for the afternoon radio show. And again, we'll be back at uh, 3 p.m., 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. For those of you to watch the radio show on 95.3 MNC here on Rumble, and go follow me on Truth Social. Again, truthsocial.com at Casey, the host. See you tomorrow.